If you've been here, and I hope you have, we're in the middle of a sermon series called Winning the Fight. And so last Sunday, Gary talked about God's part. He talked about God conquering sin, death, and Satan, and he said that, that God has done it all. Next week, when Gary returns from Turkey, he's going to talk about Satan's part or his part. And so what I want to do today in the middle is look at our part. And I want you to think for a minute, what is our part as we get ready for a series on spiritual warfare? I think this is a crucial and critical series for our church to go through together. Whether we acknowledge it or not, whether we live in an awareness of it, we live in a spiritual age. There, there is a dimension of two kingdoms at war, and we as humans are caught in the middle. And so what I want us to do today, the, kind of the idea that came to me is that we want to examine ourselves. We want to examine ourselves and say, are there any roadblocks as we walk through this series as a church together that would keep us from experiencing this series in all the ways that we can? And so the verse I looked up is 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. This idea of examining ourselves, Paul talks about before you take communion, you ought to what? Examine your hearts, examine your lives. In the Old Testament, we see that before people went to the temple, they would examine themselves for cleanliness or uncleanliness. They would try to remove things to make themselves ready to meet God. And so I want us to think of examining ourselves. As I was thinking through that verse, um, the month I started, Pastor Gary was on his sabbatical. And so for me, it was an interesting time. I came into an office. I'm from construction, so that was a weird change for me, kind of like changing gears on the highway really fast. And I'm in this office, and the, the, my boss is gone. So you can imagine, I'm like, hey, I'm the youth pastor, and there's no senior pastor here, you know? And so I was kind of thinking about that. Well, the next week, he shows up in a staff meeting, and I kind of braced myself, like, you know, here it comes, it'll be serious. And it was so refreshing. He came in, and, and Gary said, hey, you know, on my sabbatical, I was studying a lot about revival. And so he gave us his handout as a staff and had us read through it. And when I got to point four, I knew what my sermon was going to be about. Let me read point four for you. Spiritual examination. Revival begins with remembering from where we have fallen and returning to our first love. Revelation 2, 1 through 5. Take time with openness to listen to the Lord regarding your current spiritual condition and make confession and restitution in every corner that needs cleansing. Let the precious Holy Spirit reveal the condition of your heart. So will you pray with me? And I want to ask that the, the Holy Spirit would help to reveal our hearts before him now. Father, we just thank you for this time. We thank you for the ability to walk through your word, um, just that your word is clear and shows us areas to examine, areas to consider. We pray that your precious Holy Spirit would reveal truth to us. And ultimately, we're not depending on our own will or strength in order to clean areas up, but we're, we're coming to you and we're claiming your name. We ask this in your son's precious name, Jesus. Amen. So a few weeks ago, I'm driving in the car, thinking about this idea of examining. Uh, I got my two nephews in the car with me, and the younger nephew says to me, Hey, um, Uncle Will, when people go to the doctor, why do they wear rubber gloves? Yeah, I kind of pause, like, you know, do I answer this, like the half answer, the partial answer? Do I say, go ask Aunt Jenny, or what do I say? And so we had a conversation about physical exams and what they are and why men especially dread them. Women may as well. I just don't know. I've never been to one. And so um, we're kind of talking through, and it dawned on me that exams are critically important. You go into a physical exam, you have it scheduled. The older you get, the more often you should do them, because if you don't, you can 
die, and that's quite serious. And so you go in, and usually the doctor kind of has a list. He has a list of things he wants to go over and he wants to check. And what normally happens is something comes up on the exam that maybe you didn't know about. There may be something on the exam, you're like, I didn't know I even had cholesterol or high blood pressure, whatever it is. The good news of an exam is that if you catch these things early, they're easier to treat. And so as we walk through today, I've got five things I want us to look at. And my prayer would be that the Holy Spirit would reveal truth, but that if we catch these things now, especially before we go into the series, they would be easier to deal with than if we give time for them to become embedded. And so the five things I want us to look at are footholds. We talked about these last week. I want us to look at isolation. I want us to look at barriers. Are there barriers between us and God? Are there open doors in our lives that are allowing influences into our lives that we don't want? And finally, perhaps there are strongholds. Now, to kind of give you a context of whether we're talking about exterior or interior, uh, my wife and I, back in the 90s, we worked in Tanzania with the Hadza people. I think there's a picture coming up. And these were an animistic society. They lived by hunting and gathering, and they spoke a click language. And so we were with Wycliffe Bible Translators. Our goal was to learn the culture and the language. And one of the things we were fascinated with was their religion. But practically what happened is these people had a lot of medical needs, and so we were studying medicine. And so what would happen is as we traveled the village and I was asking questions, people would come with us with beads and necklaces and headbands, and many of these ornaments had medical purposes. So for example, the men had a bead they would wear around their neck. It was a piece of root. And if a man fell and hurt himself, he could gnaw on it. And it had kind of an anesthetic quality. And so I was really excited. I got all these beads people were giving me. And I'm like, don't chew on that one because you'll kind of get buzzed. And this one will help out. And, and I'm running around. Well, the word for medicine was taco. And so I'm studying this. Well, one day I come to find out that the word for magic is also taco. And so the more I began to study, I realized that part of what I was wearing was not just traditional medicine, but that there were amulets and there were spells involved in these things I had. Now, how many of you think I was in a place of danger at that point in time? Absolutely. And so there were external things that were dangerous to my walk with Jesus and to my family. But I want, it, I want you to know that at the same time we were living there, if you look at the picture, we had one daughter. We went with our oldest daughter, and our prayer was to have another child. Now, if I'm brutally honest with you, I had a formulaic religion. And it said that if I walked with God and obeyed his commands, that he would bless me. He would give me the desires of my heart. And so we were in an environment where we were sharing the gospel and telling Bible stories. We were doing medical work and feeding the poor. And so my equation said, God owed me a child. Now, I want to ask the question, which of these were more dangerous, the amulets and charms I was wearing or the condition of my heart? And so as we walk through this exam, I want us to consider that many times the condition of our heart can be as dangerous as what we might call sort of the obvious or the cultish things that are out there. Now, if you turn in your Bibles to Ephesians 4, 25 through 27, there's a verse that we looked at last week. And essentially the verse says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And many of you, it was a beautiful time of worship where many of you came up, you came to the stage, you wrote down the name of someone you were struggling in anger or forgiveness, and you put it in a basket, and we prayed to the God of the universe that there would be forgiveness. 
But the reason Paul says that we want to do this is if we don't let our anger go, if we go, let the sun go down our anger, we give Satan a foothold in our lives. I've got a picture up here, the walls of Jerusalem, and the walls are made by these giant, massive stones. They would, they would find them in quarries, and they would harvest them and shape them. They would bring them and make a wall, but what would happen in these big stones, they didn't always fit together perfect. And so if they weren't careful, an enemy would have a handhold or a foothold to get over the wall. And so they would fill these in with mud and, and cement and different materials so that there was no foothold. And soldiers would patrol the walls and make sure none of that had fallen away. And so what Paul is saying is that when we let anger reign in our life, we give Satan access to overcome our defenses. And so just like last week, I think about people that quit smoking. For some of you, you wrote a name down, you brought it up, and praise God, you were able to forgive and forget cold turkey. God is good. For some of us, maybe like quitting smoking, we've struggled with it. If I put a basket up today, you'd be up writing the same name. And we've realized that, man, forgiveness is a daily choice. When I remember this person, when I remember the hurt, I have to choose to forgive. And so we think about footholds. There's another foothold I want to discuss. If you're married, grab your spouse's hand real quick and just kind of lift it up. All right, there we go. We got some married people. If you want to get married, raise your hand. Cornerstone, I better see some hands going. There we go. Got some hands up. All right, so we have some eligible bachelors and bachelorettes sitting in this corner of the room. Now, um, I want to talk real quick. And if you turn to 1 Corinthians 7, Paul talks about intimacy in marriage, physical intimacy. Please nod your head if you know what physical intimacy means. Because if you don't, I'm going to Song of Solomon for an extra sermon, and you, you don't want that. So everybody got the idea, right? So Paul talks about physical intimacy in marriage, and he talks about the idea that a woman's body doesn't just belong to herself, but also to the husband, and a husband's body doesn't just belong to himself, but to the wife. He continues in verse 5, and he says, do not deprive one another. He's talking about physical intimacy, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time so that you may devote yourself to prayer. And so essentially what Paul is saying is that perhaps, you don't have to do it, it's not required, it's not a necessary spiritual discipline, but if you want to, and if you both agree for a limited period of time for prayer, you can create sort of an alternative fast from physical intimacy in your marriage. But watch what he says. But then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Amen to that part, right? And so really what he's saying is that if we withhold physical intimacy in marriage, we create a foothold for Satan to gain access into our lives. And I can't tell you as a pastor how many couples I've met with in the 11th hour considering divorce. And the number one common thing these marriages have is when I ask the question about physical intimacy, I hear answers like it's been a month, it's been three months, it's been six months, it's been a year. And these couples are sitting there going, we don't know why our relationships, at the point it is, and Paul's saying clearly, because you've given Satan a foothold. Now, listen to me. There's real and hard reasons that people may not be physical intimate in marriage. Often pornography is involved. There's a sin that one spouse may commit and may say, hey, I found this perverted way to satisfy a desire, and so I'm kind of shutting you off. Sometimes when the pornography is found out about the other couple as a punitive measure says, hey, if that's what you're going to do, then we're done. 
Sometimes there's physiological reasons. Sometimes there's abuse in the past that even though coming into marriage we think intimacy will be beautiful, we find out that, that it causes emotions and it causes heartache. And I'm not diminishing any of these problems, but I'm saying that if we're to be true to Scripture and obedient to Scripture, we have to get help. We have to deal with these issues. We, it's not enough just to say, well, I've got a decent excuse, and so I withhold intimacy in marriage. No, we need to get help from the body of Christ. And so I want you to think for a minute, in your lives, are there any footholds by which Satan has access over your defenses? Are there any footholds you need to fill in? Are there any footholds you need to remove in your life? The second one I want us to look at is isolation. If you turn to 1 Peter 5.8, we looked at this verse last week as well. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Make no mistake, Satan's goal is destruction. He wants to devour. Now, just that we don't create fear as believers, Pastor Gary was very clear that he said, when we walk with Jesus, when we remain, when we abide, there is no danger for believers. However, when we walk away, when we drift, when we say we don't need the body of Christ, we don't need to be close with Jesus, we put ourselves in incredible danger. If you've ever studied lions, how do lions hunt? They see a herd and they kind of circle the herd and they check it out. But what they're looking for are isolated individuals. They're not going to attack a herd because they know in the herd there's protection, there's accountability, there's a defense. I want you to watch this video that shows what happens when a warthog wanders away from its herd. And think of this idea of spiritual isolation. Sobering, isn't it? And so when we wander away from the body of Christ, when we wander away from Jesus, we put ourselves in incredible danger. And this isn't new. As Israel was sharing in his communion, he talked about this beautiful picture of Adam and Eve walking in the cool of evening with God. You think about Adam walking with God, Adam in a perfect place with a perfect God, walking in the cool of the evening. And some of us, if we're honest, that's our dream. We don't dream about being with other people because they have problems. We dream about just us and God. And if we could have been in the garden, what a beautiful thing it would have been. And yet the God of the universe who makes it all, he looks at that situation and says, it is not good for man to be alone. And so in our lives, I have to ask the question, are we living in isolation? I know we're in this room and we're gathered together, but the Bible talks clearly about living in community and more than just once a week. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 says this, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. If you jump to Hebrews 3, 13, you see it says, Encourage one another daily. As you think about your life, do you have community with the body of Christ daily? And all the more as you see the day approaching. I don't have time to do it, but if you want to do a study, Google the idea of one another. There's 59 in the New Testament. 
And, and you begin to see that the idea of following Jesus includes community. Now, my wife and I moved here from Idaho a year ago, and so we're kind of new, but there's a phrase you guys use called y'all, okay? <laughs> so in the New Testament, normally when you see the word you, it actually means y'all, but there's another form of y'all, and maybe it's deeper south that says all y'all, Okay? <laughs> And so when we read the Bible, sometimes we think, oh, okay, James is saying I just need to get along, and I just need to do this, and I just need to do that. What he's really saying is what? All you all need to do this together. And so I want us to consider community and isolation in our lives. We jump back to 1 Peter 3, 7. I want us to consider the idea of barriers. Now, there's several barriers, and what I mean by barriers are things that block our relationship with God. And some of you kind of tense up and say, oh, no, nothing can come between me and God. Really? Are there no barriers between communication with God or relationship? Psalm 66, 18 said, if I had cherished sin in my heart, he would not have listened. Doesn't mean he doesn't hear. It doesn't limit his ability, but it says he chooses not to listen. Now, as you hear that, I'm not talking about slip-up sins. Some of you guys, when you sin, you slip up. Every bone in your body, every fiber of your being says, I hate it. I don't want anything to do with it. The, the psalmist says, if I had cherished sin. And so those sins that we secretly cherish, that we look forward to, that we daydream about, he says, if I cherish sin in my heart, God will not listen. But the beautiful answer is, what do we do to get rid of it? We confess. And James would tell us we confess to one another to experience healing. We, we move into community. Another area that we talked about last week, Mark eleven twenty five 25, says that when we're praying, if we remember we haven't forgiven someone, to forgive them so that God will forgive us our sins as well. And that's not creating sort of this idea that says every time I forgive a person, God will forgive me. Because here's the deal. I sin way more than people sin against me. That's just bad math. But there's a final one I want us to consider that's a barrier in a relationship with God. Um, if you're a husband... Or if you want to be a husband, I need you to stand up. That's right, on your feet. I mean it. Okay, if you're a husband or you want to be a husband, stand up. Now, the reason I'm having you stand up are twofold. First, I just got you out of striking distance of your wife's elbow, because we're going to have a man talk. So women, there will be no elbows flying. Uh, the second is I want you on your feet so that your equilibrium's up, because I'm about to ring your bell. In the word of boxing, that means we're going to do a good shot to the head. I still remember this verse. It was about five years ago. I was going through a men's group, and I came across this verse. I'd read it before, but I hadn't camped on it. You ever see that happen? And this verse hurt bad. Okay, so listen to it. 1 Peter 3, 7, allow me to share my pain with you. Husbands, we got them up. In the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. Now, don't need to do a Greek or Hebrew lesson here. We know what considerate means, right? It has to do with where that toilet seat goes when you're done. It has to do with who takes the garbage out. It means be considerate. We consider the needs of others. And so it says, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heir of you of the gracious gift of life. Now, some of you are listening going, okay, I need to be considerate. I need to treat my wife with respect. Now, anyone here take love and respect? You're like, now wait a minute. I thought women needed love and men needed Like, don't, don't, don't be legalistic about the class. It's great principles, but women need respect too because the Bible says so. And here's why. Listen to this barrier. So that nothing will hinder your prayers. The God of the universe is saying when we don't treat our wives with consideration and respect, th this word for hinder means to slap down. 
It's the imagery of an arrow on flight, on trajectory. And so you're praying to God and you've launched your prayer and it gets knocked out of the air. Think of basketball. I'm a short guy. I lay up for the perfect shot. I'm about to take it. And there's Nate Kemp, who's all of like 6'5", and he just slams that ball out of the way. And the God of the universe is saying, no matter how well prepared your prayers are, no matter how much faith you have, if you're not treating your wife with respect and consideration, your prayers are hindered. And none of us men that walk this earth need our prayers to be hindered. We need an open line of communication with God. You can sit down now. I hope you're a little dizzy, just slightly. (laughs) And so I want you to consider, are there any barriers in your relationship with God? Because as we walk through a series on spiritual warfare, let me just warn you. Satan's not sitting around going, hey, Grace Community Church as an entire church family is going to do a series on spiritual warfare. Praise God. That's great. I mean, he doesn't say praise God, but like, it's not great. And so as we walk through this series, we need deep abiding relationship with God, our Father, and Jesus' Son. We need the Holy Spirit to lead us in truth and conviction. So any barriers need to be removed. The next one I want to talk about is open doors. And we're going to go back in our Bibles to Leviticus 20, verse 6. Um, I'm going to go there, and I want us to think about just open doors. And so, you know, there's some things like there's, there's barriers that, that are kind of in the way, and, and so we need to remove them. Um, there might be footholds that we need to fill in or isolation, but open doors is just what it sounds like. These are doors in our life we just open for influence from Satan. Like these, there's no excuse. And so the first one, Leviticus 20 verse 6, deals with the occult. And so I want us just to think about the obvious for a minute. Ouija boards, psychics, horoscopes. I know people that kind of in the paper next to the comics, they think they're funny. Hey, Bob, listen to this horoscope. Like, it's not funny. There's nothing funny about it. Listen to what God says about what some people think is funny. I will set my face, consider the face of God. I will set my face against anyone who turns to mediums and spiritists to prostitute themselves by following them. And I will cut them off from my people. Anybody in the room want God to turn his face from you? Because he's saying how it happens. Now, some of you are, are a little ahead of me and you're going, well, that's the first half of the Bible. That's the Old Testament. It doesn't apply to us. We're New Testament believers. New covenant, it matters. So real quick, and if you want more, you need to talk to Jerry because he can explain it better. But there's three kind of laws in the Old Testament. There's civil laws re- related to the nation of Israel. There's ceremonial laws that relate to the temple. And those have been fulfilled. And we don't live in Israel, so it's okay to ignore those. But then there's moral laws. And moral laws apply to us as New Testament believers as much as they did back then. And so there's the obvious. Now, probably in this room, if I said, does anyone have a Ouija board app on their you know, phone or whatever? I hope the answer is no. And if it is, get rid of it. But, but here's the next thing. There's another level down where there's some people that may not do those things, but they love horror movies. They love a good scare. They love a murder mystery where it kind of delves into the psyche of the murder and what he's thinking and the gruesome details. And and guess what? The Bible has something to say about that as well. Ephesians 5, 11 through 12 says, Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. doesn't say two hours of movie watching about him is okay. It says have nothing to do with him, but rather expose him. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. And so I have to ask the questions, the movies, the forms of entertainment we enjoy, if, the, if they're doing this kind of thing, if they're related to the evil, if they're mentioning and celebrating, we need to move away. 
And then the final one, and this will probably hit many of us, it hits me, Galatians 5, 19 through 21. I call this celebrations of sin. And that's a horrible word, and some of you are like, I don't celebrate sin. Well, as I read this passage, think about some of the movies and the books and the media and the Facebook and the things we participate in. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, so that would cover pornography, that would cover movies with scenes we shouldn't be watching. Impurity, well, that about covers it all. Debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft. Hatred. You ever read a Facebook post that just drips with hatred and sarcasm? Jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions. I know we live in a free country, but if our politics are creating dissension, we should have nothing to do with it. Factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so think for a minute, are any of the things that we call entertainment, they're optional. We don't have to do them. Are they celebrating these things? And I hear American Christians say, I can't believe what Hollywood and the media pump into my home. Really? Ain't nobody pumping anything into your home. You, you make a phone call, you subscribe, and you pay money to have this stuff brought into your home. You buy a smartphone, you download apps. And so the answer is what? Turn it off. Nobody's making you watch this stuff. They're not ramming it down your throat. And so I want to ask the question, do we celebrate sin? Now, the answer here is it's easy to get rid of. I mean, it, it might cost you and you might miss it if we're honest. Uh, I'd, I'll be really honest. Two movies I'd love to see right now, and I'm ashamed to admit them. Equalizer 2 and Sicario 2. The reason I want to see them, I hope you didn't just say awesome, but, you know, I, I don't blame you. I'm not judging you. Um, the reason I want to see them is because I saw the first ones. Now, I'll be honest with you. Both movies, central plot is someone's offended, and they go out rather than trusting God and take revenge on the wrong that's been done. And so as I look at this verse, that's not a movie that has a place in my life. And so if I'm serious about shutting doors, I have to shut the doors. I told you we're new to Texas. One of the things we're also new to is chicken owning. So back in June, I got a picture up here. My daughter, we bought her four chickens. These are called Rhodesian Red, or no, Rhode Island Reds. Sorry, Rhodesia is like old Africa. Uh, Rhode Island Reds, and they grow into big chickens. Well, we're new to chickens, and we're new to the Texas heat. Like how y'all, all y'all, live in 104 degree heat is way beyond me. And so back in August, when it was particularly hot, we got these big chickens, and my wife says, poor chickens, they might die. And I'm like, so? No, I didn't say so. I like the chickens. So she said, I have an idea. We have a really weird house, and our bathroom opens into the backyard with French doors. It's really weird. Um, and she said, let's let the chickens in the bathroom so they can have some AC. And first words out of my mouth are like, you know what chickens do. You can't let them on there. And she goes, there's tile. I'll clean it up. So with, with trepidation, but trying to be considerate and respectful, I said, all right, hon, let the chickens in the bathroom. So they're in there. They, they're not in there more than 10 minutes. And I open the door because I don't trust the chickens. And these guys are pecking holes in our sheetrock. Like big holes. I don't know if we got bugs in the wall like them roaches y'all have, but they're just like going to town. And so here's the deal. We have this crisis. Guess what we did? We put the chickens out and shut the door. Not hard to do. And so some of you all, if we have open doors in our life, it's time to throw the thing out and shut the door. The final one I want us to look at is strongholds. If you turn to 2 Corinthians 10, 2 through 5. Now, strongholds can be a little tricky. Strongholds essentially are beliefs, 
arguments, pretensions, uh, worldviews that oppose the gospel of Jesus taking control in our life. And they can be really, they can be intertwined with our beliefs. We might have a stronghold that we've justified with a verse. In anthropology, they call it syncretism. When Spanish missionaries first reached the Americas, they were alarmed and well-pleased with how many indigenous people were worshiping in the Catholic Church. Well, what they found out is by coming in with all these saints and figures, the indigenous people just assigned their many gods onto the saints and said, we'll just worship those gods and call them ours. And so what happened is you have this blending where the gospel is not fully penetrating a culture. Now, it can be hard to see in our own lives. And so I, I got a video here of Steve talking about a relationship he had in Japan and what a stronghold looks like. Watch this. 25 years ago in our little apartment in Japan, I sat on the floor with a new friend of mine named Kuano, Kuano Tetsuo. I'd known him for about a year, but that day as we sat on the floor, I shared with him for the first time who God is and who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for him and for me. And he asked question after question after question. After about four hours of us talking together, he just put his head in his hands and closed his eyes and said, this is amazing. Why has nobody ever told me this before? And then he said, this should be taught in our schools in Japan. Japanese people should know about this. And I thought, Kuono-sensei is going to give his life to Jesus today. But he didn't. And uh, over the 25 years since then, I've shared Jesus with Kuono-sensei year after year after year. And every year, he's touched by the Spirit of God. And this year was we were there, we were having dinner with his family. And I said, I'm going to pray for you. And as I prayed for him, Michelle Boring, who was on our team, she put her hand on his shoulder. And two days later, Kuono Sensei came and talked to me. He said, Steve, when you prayed for me and Michelle put her hand on me, it was like energy just came through my body. And I said, I know, Kuono Sensei, that's what I've been telling you all these years. The Holy Spirit is real and he loves you. And he wants to include you in his family. And Kuono Sensei's response is what it always is. That's amazing. That's wonderful. But here we are 25 years later, and Kwanis Sensei still has not surrendered his life to Jesus. And the reason is, and he's told me the reason is, he said, I believe what you tell me is true. It is true. But I'm Japanese, and I will be Buddhist until the day I die. Now, what is it that causes somebody to know that something's true and yet not be able to walk through the door? step into a real commitment. That's a stronghold in his life. And I'm asking you guys, the only way to break a stronghold is through repentance and prayer. So I'm asking you guys to pray for Kwono Sensei, that Kwono Sensei will know that Jesus is big enough to handle all those, all that confusion, all the misunderstandings, and that he'll step through the door and surrender his life to Jesus. So let's take a minute and do that right now. Let's pray for Kwana Sensei that this stronghold will be broken in his life. Amen. Thank you for praying. 
I think when we look in another culture, it's easy to see what a stronghold looks like. It's easy to say, why would someone not come to Jesus because of this belief or that practice? And yet, do we have them in our own lives? And the truth is, you can come to Jesus, you can enter into a relationship, but there's still strongholds that remain that prevent the gospel from fully penetrating. Think about your politics and your ideologies and your worldviews. Is there anything that doesn't fully embrace the gospel? And if it is, by God's grace, we need to remove it. 2 Corinthians 10, 4-5 tells us, The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And here's how we do it. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And so whether it's in our studies in school, whether it's in work, whether it's what we're reading or what's coming through in post on Facebook, we take every thought, every ideology, and we make it captive to Christ. And if what comes out on the other end is not Christ-like and biblically centered, we don't hang on to it. We let it go. And so as we close, I want us to turn to James 4.7. We closed with this last week. I want us to think for a minute, what does it look like in our lives? Are there any footholds? Are there areas of our life of unforgiveness? Are there areas in our marriage where we've given Satan just a weight over our defenses? Is isolation an issue? I, I didn't say this first service, but I look out and I think of our live audience on the webcam, and I just say, some of you, there's reasons you're at home, and I understand it, and I'm not speaking to you, but some of you are just avoiding community. And so if that's you, I would encourage you to join community, to step out, whether you're shy, whether you're broken, whether you think you'll be accepted, and walk into community with God's people. Are there barriers? As we're walking through life, crying out to the God of the universe, are there barriers that we're ignoring that are hindering that relationship? And they're so easy by the blood of Jesus Christ to remove. Are there strongholds? And are there open doors that need to be shut? The answer, and we looked at it last week, is James 4, 7. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I, I love that word resist. It doesn't say conquer. It doesn't say out-theologize. I just made that word up, but let's go with it. It doesn't say it's a certain kind of prayer or a certain kind of thing. It says resist. Don't go along with Don't follow. Don't cooperate with it. And what will happen? And he will flee from you. And I love that idea of fleeing. He's not fleeing because of your great logic. He's not fleeing because of what he said. He's fleeing because behind you stands the cross of Jesus Christ. Gary shared last week that sin, death, and Satan have been conquered. And so when we resist, when we submit to God, Satan, he flees. And so I want us to take time right now to say, there's a series coming up that is going to be so important. We're going to talk about who Satan is, what his schemes are. We're going to talk about the armor of God and prayer and obedience and so many important facets of our life. And my prayer is that we would all together walk into this series without roadblocks in the way. That we would come into it with hearts that are able to receive truth and radically transform our lives. And so Larry's going to come up and play a song, and I love the song he's going to play. It's, it's straight from Psalms. I told him I was going to tell people he wrote it, and he said, you can't do that because it's a psalm that he set music to. And so I want us to close by praying this psalm together, and then Larry's going to pray, play. He's going to play and pray, probably. As we do this, I want you to, to, to consider and search your heart. I want you to pray. If you need to reach over to someone, you don't have to tell them what it is. Just reach over, and by God's grace, say, hey, would you pray for me? 
If you want to come up front in this area and pray, I'm sure people will either leave you alone or come up and pray with you, whatever you desire. But let's search our hearts. Let's pray Psalm 139, 23 to 24 together. Search us, God, and know our heart. Test us and know our anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in us and lead us in the way everlasting. Let's take time to pray. As we close, I hope this is the beginning of a conversation. This isn't the end. We don't just leave it in the building and go off to lunch and to various things, but that we consider what it means to search our hearts. And the truth is, we come to a God by a spirit where there's no condemnation, where there's the power to change, and the gospel has the power to permeate and radically transform our lives. As we close, if you're new today, we'd love to meet you. We have a welcome coffee here on my right. Uh, If you've been around and you have a question or want to talk to a pastor, there's a connection coffee in the back. And as well, there will be elders and pastor couples that will come up to pray for you. Will you guys stand with me and we'll pray together and be done? Father, we just thank and praise you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the, the power you have over sin and death and Satan and destruction. These are huge things that fill our world with fear. And yet as your children, we come to you and we can have honest and heart-searching conversations knowing that you're our God. We ask these things in your son's precious name, Jesus. Amen.